And as we have studied for the past couple of Sundays on the lives of the kings, and we talked about Saul, and this morning we talked about David. As I begin it, I do want to reemphasize the introduction because I think it reflects what is a reality for many people. That is, sometimes otherwise good people make horrible decisions. People who really do love God do things they ought not do, and they get involved in things they ought not do. For instance, in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, when God looked at David, it says that he doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. As Brother Dale read for us in Acts 13 and verse 22, David was found to be a man who would do all of God's will. But yet we are reminded, according to Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So as we study the lives of Saul and David and Solomon, we should not think of them and saying, look how bad they were without reflecting upon our own lives. And so this morning, what we did, we emphasized that David is a perfect example of a man who is struggling with the sins of the flesh. And we said there are three things we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to look at the digression of David, how he deviated from God's plan for his life. Then to look at the determination to correct the problems that he had developed in his life. And then finally to deal with the consequences that come from it. And this morning, I'm just going to summarize all of them on one slide here of the things that we discussed. This was this morning's lesson. David digressed because he failed to respect God's order with the transportation of the Ark of the Covenant. David failed because he practiced situation ethics when he ate the holy showbread that was not lawful for him to eat. David failed and digressed when he intended to murder the man that we call Nabal or the fool. David digressed when he lusted for and committed adultery with Bathsheba. David then digressed when he attempted to try to hide and cover up his sin. And Many people, rather than dealing with their sin, try to cover it up. And then David also sinned when he committed murder and killing Uriah the Hittite to even try to further cover up his sin. Now I want you to continue with me. If you're going to open your Bibles, and let's talk about First or Second Samuel chapter 24 is David numbers the children of Israel. And this is very near the end of his service as king. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3 and then verses 9 and 10. Verses 2 and 3. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. And may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? Now you might think this is just a census to be able to know the number of people. It's much more than that. First of all, the charge was given to Joab, who was the commander of the army. 
Second of all, he is trying to get the king to understand that his request is not good. It's not needed. But I want you to drop down with me to verses 9 and 10. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. You understand now that this is a count of the army. Because Joab, as he reports the counting, reports the number of fighting men, the number of valiant men. And so really what David has done is, he says, I need to know how many fighting men that I have to fight with me. In Psalm chapter 33, perhaps David later recognizing the mistake that he made, puts it like this in verses 16 and 17. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. So here's the problem. David has looked and said, how much strength do I have? How many men do I have to fight? And later on he says, that's not what wins battles. What it does, it shows a great lapse in his faith and trust in God. God had been his deliverer. Do you remember when he stood before Goliath? God who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Gentile, this Philistine. God here would have delivered him. And that's what Joab has tried to tell David. But you see, sometimes men start looking and they start trusting in their own ability and their own talents and to say, what can I do? And I think that's a real struggle. That's a problem for us today. We want to look and we say, yes, we trust God. But when in reality it comes down to it and says, well, Maybe we need to calculate what we can do with what we have. No. What we need to do is do what God says to do and trust Him fully, completely. And David here sinned in doing so. Now, that brings me to the second part of our lesson, and that is his determination to correct. You see, in the life of Saul, Saul also sinned greatly. But the difference was is Saul never made any effort to correct the problems that he had in his life. In fact, he started multiplying them, if you will. But David, as he becomes aware of his sins, says, I now have to correct what I've done. Let me illustrate this to you. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because when David is rebuked by Nathan the prophet, you remember Nathan gave him a parable of a man with a little ewe lamb and how that this one visiting came and took that little ewe lamb and David understands the significance of it and he says that man ought to die. 
And then when Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man, here's David's response to it. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. He said, I've sinned. The acknowledgement of it, the admission of it. Yes, I've done what's wrong. When you and I are presented with mistakes that we've made, what do we do? Do we rationalize it? Do we cover it up? Do we try to hide it? Or do we simply say, as David did, I have sinned? The illustration that we just finished about David numbering Israel in 2 Samuel 24. Notice what he says in verse 10 again. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Lord, forgive me for what I have done. In both instances, David acknowledges his sin is ultimately against God. And that's the way all sin ultimately is. Whether it was the commission of the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and killing of Uriah, or whether it is the sin of the numbering of Israel, these are all sins against God. And David is begging for God's forgiveness. I wish that I could take time to show you the heart of David as he deals with this, because he really struggles with it. I want to take you to just two of what's called the penitential psalms. The ones where David pours out his heart to God. And one is going to be in chapter 32 and the other in chapter 51 of Psalms. And Listen as David in verses 5 through 7 pours out his heart. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. Do you see, David says, I didn't hide it. I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed it. And then God provides deliverance. When you get to chapter 51, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and then verses 10 through 17. And listen as David looks at his sin and his determination to correct it. Hear me. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and have done evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. I want you to, for just a moment, look at what he is saying here. He's begging for mercy. He knows he doesn't deserve God's forgiveness. 
But what he wants God to do in verse 2 is to wash him, to cleanse him. But drop down with me to beginning with verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now dropping down to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God is looking at the heart of David. God looks at our heart. When you and I look at sin in our lives, what do we do with it? Do we put it behind us and say, I'm going to ignore it? Do we try to hide it and cover it up as David did with his sin with Bathsheba? Or do we simply say, you know what, it's now time. And I need to have a clean heart. I need to be restored to faithfulness with God. That leads me to the third part of our lesson, and that is dealing with the consequences. And I think this is perhaps one of the most important parts of the lesson. Not because of the fact that I don't want to emphasize David's sin. We've done that. Nor do I want us to minimize his penitent heart. We've done that. But here's a problem. Too many times we struggle with the consequences of sin even after we have been forgiven. David was forgiven by God. But there were consequences that still followed. Sometimes people look at their sin and they say, Okay, I'm sorry God for what I've done. Now take away all the consequences. And God doesn't do that. He removes the guilt. He removes the sin. But the consequences sometimes still remain. And I think there's a reason for God doing this. God wants us to see sin to be sin. And He wants us to avoid sin. Let me illustrate this to you. Sin brings and it brought death. For just a moment, let's think about all those sins that David committed and let's think about the consequences that were derived from them. First of all, the Ark of the Covenant. As that Ark was being moved from the house of Abinadab to Jerusalem, as that oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached up and touched it, according to 2 Samuel 6 and verse 7, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah And God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. David is the one who made the mistake. David is the one who put it on a cart to start with. I'm not minimizing Uzzah's mistake. But Uzzah died. There were consequences there. Let's go a little bit further. You remember going in and eating the showbread that we studied about? Sometimes we forget when you drop down to 1 Samuel chapter 22 that when Saul comes behind David, he's going to go to Ahimelech and he's going to say, You mean you helped my enemy, David? You mean you gave him something? 
Well, yes. Look at 1 Samuel 22, verse 16. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And he did. But drop down to verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Ahimelech, 85 priests. They died because David went there to get the showbread. Don't tell me there's not consequences to sin and the difficulties that arise from it. What about David's thought about murdering Nabal, killing him? Nabal died. David was not responsible for the wickedness of Nabal, but David's intervention here brought about the death of Nabal as well. You go a little bit further, what about the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba? Uriah died. That's awful in and of itself. Uriah didn't do anything wrong, and yet he suffered the consequences of David's sin. It'd be very easy to think that it stopped there, but you remember God said that there was not going to be bloodshed, there was not going to be struggle that would cease from David's house. It wasn't very long before Amnon raped his sister, the full sister of Absalom, and what resulted from that was Amnon was killed by Absalom. David lost a son over it. Not only that, later Absalom, because of David's action, himself died. Never mind the fact that the child conceived by David and Bathsheba died. Do you see death follows sin? Consequences that come from that. Very quickly, let me take with you the numbering of the children of Israel. You see, when David says that he has done foolishly, Gad is sent to David to try to tell David, yes, you have sinned and there's consequences for your sin. And so beginning with 2 Samuel 24, verse 12, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Seven years shall seven years of famine come to you in your land. Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be... Three days of plague in the land. Now consider and see what shall I answer that I should take back to him who sent me. David's got three choices. None of those choices, the consequences of them are desirable. But if you drop down with me to verses 14 and 15, David said to Gad, I am in a great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. Folks, don't pass over that. 70,000 men of the people died because David numbered the children of Israel. Verse 17, 
Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. David begins to recognize my sins are hurting other people. My sins have consequences. I don't think sometimes people realize that when a man or a woman goes out and commits adultery, the effect that that has not only on their spouse, but their mothers and their fathers, on their children, on their brothers and sisters, on their family. And it may change a generation of people. David understands now what I have done is brought about bloodshed, which brings me to Psalms 51 and verse 14. I think I read that verse differently after preparing for this lesson. David said, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Can you think of how many people died because of David's sins? O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Deliver me from bloodshed. I know why God didn't let him build him a house now because he was a man of blood. But not only did David's sin bring death, but it brought shame, embarrassment. You know, I think about some of these people who have been caught recently and their lies have been exposed. Most notably, perhaps one of them that's been in the news has been the NBC anchorman, Brian Williams, who lied evidently on several occasions about things that he said that he had done or been a part of. I thought about the embarrassment. Here he is. It's, he's been removed from the television and the embarrassment that that must have brought upon him and his family and his children, perhaps his parents and others involved. And I want you to listen to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David tried to hide and keep secret his adultery. But God said, David, there's going to be shame that's going to come from that. It's going to be made public. You get to chapter 16 of 2 Samuel. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all those who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Don't you know that had to embarrass David to his very core? What David did, the choices he made, 
brought sure shame. And I'm going to tell you, there's no way that a person can commit sin and keep it quiet permanently. It will come out. It may not always come out in this life, but it will come out as one stands before the judgment seat of Christ. There's consequences to sin. And then you add on top of that, David had to live with all the guilt. As he looked at families, as he looked at his people that he served, he recognized, I am the one who's brought this on them. David was a man who loved God but lived with real temptations. And he succumbed to many of them. I think many times we are people who love God. We want to do what is right. But temptation is put in front of us. And sometimes we yield. Now, how are you going to deal with it? You can either try to hide it or you can confess it, forsake it, and receive forgiveness of it. But forgiveness does not preclude that there will be some consequences. And those consequences may be severe and they may be tough. But let me tell you, forgiveness does, however, affect your eternity. Whether you get to go to heaven or not. And you can choose tonight to do one of two things. If you've got sin in your life, you can say, well, I'm going to just go on and see if nobody ever notices. Or you can say, it's now time for me to deal with it. I'm not going to carry it as a burden anymore. I'm going to become a Christian and I'm going to have all my sins washed away by being baptized. Or if you're a Christian to say it's time for me to confess these sins and to make myself right with God again. What a privilege we have that God has granted us this time, this hour, and you an opportunity to be able to make it right. And what we'd like to encourage you to do if you need to respond to come as we stand and sing together.